announces the theme, and then he says, okay, everybody else join in. It's like a campfire song, right? Where someone starts singing a line, and then everybody just starts belting it out. It just sounds like the worst campfire. Um, It's not a campfire I would have put together, but people do sing around campfires, right? And this is like this kind of everybody jump in, right? And, And what is happening here is the songwriter seems to be saying that God's help is not a private experience, but it's like a corporate reality, it's not like for the individual. So for, so for many of us, we're probably going, yeah, but God's never really, it doesn't really feel like God's helping me right now. And I feel like I'm about to get engulfed and I'm about to get swallowed up. But the, the writer seems to be saying it's a, it's a corporate thing. And it's not an exception for this person or that person, but it's like the norm among God's people. That's what the psalmist is getting at. So God's help is described giving two illustrations. The first one is um, being swallowed up alive. God is helping them from being swallowed up alive. And the second one is being drowned by floods. Okay? These two things that are totally out of our control. Now, if you're cynical about this passage, I want to encourage you with something. Some of you are probably like, okay, I've heard this before. I've heard this from people that I think might be in denial or someone who's really churchy and they have a very candy-coated, platitude way of explaining difficult things in life, right? Um, You know, like if, if you're having a hard day and someone says something like, just let go and let God, right? Kind of a thing, right? Um, and then walks off. (laughs) Church, I just want you to know something. Do not hesitate to take all of your, um, all of your disbelief, your discouragement, and put it on a psalm. Put it on this psalm. Put it on any psalm. Put it on any part of scripture. Actually, I think we don't give scripture an actual rigorous testing and reading enough. I don't think people do that enough. And I think that we need to take all of our angst and our frustration and our feeling of being overwhelmed and swallowed up and bring it to the pages of Scripture. That's why the Psalms are here. There is no literature in the world that is truer to life and more honest than the Psalms. And let me just say this, Good poetry does not survive time just because it's flowery and beautiful and nice. (laughs) Good poetry survives time. It's because it's true and it's accurate and it's honest, meaning it hits close to home. That's what this psalm is, okay? And the psalms have survived because they are, they're like over and over again, they just They well up with human emotion and experience and reality and the intensity of being a human in this this space. So you and I are used to hearing ads all day long. Um, Whether you're too cheap like me to buy the Spotify premium, okay, and you hear ads, or, or you're scrolling Instagram or whatever you're doing, you hear ads all along. And for some of us, this sounds like a commercial for God. Like, God's going to show up. God is superior than all the other gods, so you should pick this God. 
or <laughs> it's an advertisement that tells us that life goes better, it's marginally better with God. So if you run into a tight spot, then reach out to God, because then he'll help, he'll help the life that you're creating for yourself go better. And that's not what this is either. This is an honest prayer. It's an honest song. N.T. Wright writes it about this. He says, the people who know this psalm the best and who have tested it out and used it often, that is, people of God who are travelers along the way of faith, singing it in all kinds of weather, they tell us that it is credible, that it fits into what we know of life lived in faith. Meaning, what, what N.T. Wright's saying is that over the centuries, this is the song, this is a song of people who, have actually, who are actually traveling along the road to God and have experienced all kinds of weather. This is the song they've, this is one of the songs they've sung. And, and, and you know this, some of you know this, we're in a series called Pilgrims, Not Tourists, and that's the idea behind this. As pilgrims, okay, we're following towards, we're, we're going somewhere. We're actually on a trajectory towards God. And that means that we walk through certain seasons and weather that aren't the greatest for being a pilgrim. If we're a tourist, tourists avoid bad parts. <laughs> tourists avoid parts of the country that don't necessarily get publicized. Tourists have a mindset of being on vacation. Tourists avoid discomfort, danger, and inconvenience. But, but a, a pilgrim is actually like, okay, hazards are around the corner. And there's no easy task when it comes to following Jesus. So when it comes to following Jesus, it's a matter of what we do faithfully and what we do um, with joy or what we do erratically and what we do with resentment. Meaning every single day following Jesus is a day where we put faith on the line. And as a pilgrim, that's what this is all about, this idea of putting faith on the line. We have never seen God, unless maybe some of you have seen God. We've never seen God. And everything we do in this life that we have right now can be weighed, it can be explained, it can be quantified, and we're attempting to put, as pilgrims, we're attempting to put at the center of our lives in allegiance, a God who we cannot prove. And that's a risk in and of itself. The second thing we put on the line every day is we put hope on the line. We do not know what the future holds, but we walk on. We don't know what's around the corner, but we keep going. We know trusting that God is accomplishing what God wants to do, God's will is, and despite our frustrations and despite all the sadness we experience in life, we know that resurrection's coming. So every day we put faith on the line, every day we put hope on the line, and every day we actually put love on the line. Okay? And honestly, there's, not, there's nothing that I'm worse at than, <laughs> than this. Um, 
See, I'm, better, I'm far better at responding out of instincts and ambitions than I am out of love. And yet I know that I'm called to love others even in a clumsy way every day. Faith, hope, and love are pilgrim's work. So the last part of this passage goes like this. And remember that the subject of the psalm is help, and the setting of it is being God's people. All right? So it goes like this. Oh, blessed be God. He didn't go off and leave us. He didn't abandon us defenseless, helpless as a rabbit in a pack of snarling dogs. We've flown free from their fangs free from their traps, free as a bird. Their grip is broken. We're free as a bird in flight. God's strong name is our help, the same God who made heaven and earth. So this is actually how God wants us to worship. Like we've just sprung a trap. Like we've just escaped. Like we've just narrowly avoided death. That's how God wants us to worship. And he hasn't abandoned us, defenseless. He hasn't we haven't been swallowed up. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in his commentary on this passage. He says this, We speak our words of praise in a world that is hellish. We sing our songs of victory in a world where things get messy. We live our joy among people who neither understand nor encourage us. But the content of our lives is God, not humanity. We are not scavenging in the dark alleys of the world, poking in its garbage cans for a bare subsistence. We are traveling in the light toward God who is rich in mercy and strong enough to save. It is Christ, not culture, that defines our lives. It is the help we experience, not the hazards we risk that shape our days. The psalmist says our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. But here's the thing. I mean, here's where we're going to finish up today. Sometimes the hardest thing in the world to do is to ask for help. Sometimes the hardest thing in the world is to pray for help. And sometimes it's actually even harder to receive help. Receiving help is, I think, one of the greatest challenges for us. Because it's embarrassing to feel vulnerable. It feels better to be competent. It feels better to have it all together. And it feels better to be in control. And I know this from personal experience. So this week, about Tuesday, I had a little bit of a meltdown. It's pretty overwhelming <laughs> these days. Just everything going on in life. Your life's busy and, and, and as well. But I just found myself in a spot where it was like, okay, we're trying to meet in a gym and <laughs> we're trying to buy a building and we're trying to keep people safe and we're trying to do house church. We're just trying to be together. And at the end of Tuesday, it was, I literally felt like the psalmist before he wrote the song. 
I literally felt like I was being swallowed up. Anxiety, the whole thing. And um, this isn't a pity party for me. This is just me just telling you what I'm learning. The next day, after a great evening talking to Angela, and um, my kids were nice to me. Um, <laughs> that's a joke. Um, the next morning, I actually had a pre-scheduled appointment with, well, some of you, I've talked about HUD before. And he's kind of a coach, counselor guy. And he's not the nicest. <laughs> and so he starts asking me questions. He's like, Ryan, well, it sounds like you're really dealing with an idol. I'm like, really? I'm like, I'm not paying you to <laughs> be a jerk. I'm paying you to help me feel better, HUD. No, he's like, here's, here's the thing. You think you're pretty competent, and you think you're pretty capable, and you don't ask for help. So you're, you're basically idolizing how capable and competent you are. And you just realized how not capable and competent you are. So what are you going to do about it? I'm like, well, I'm not calling you again, but... Uh, so I have to confess that I have made an idol out of being competent and capable. My, the staff will tell you, why don't you lean on us more? I don't know. I'm a jerk. But I'm learning this is a real Genesis 3 thing in me. We all have our Genesis 3 things. And what is that? It's like a brokenness inside of us. One of the big brokenness pieces as far as Genesis 3 is this idea that you can have knowledge of good and evil, you can be like God, meaning the serpent tempts Adam and Eve to seek the source of their own existence in themselves. That's what that is. Many of you have grown up thinking that Sin is doing or saying something dirty, naughty, or bad. That's like very, very just a part of the story. The main part of sin is this idea that you can look for your own existence within yourself. That you are the master of your own domain. That you are capable and competent and you don't need anybody, let alone God. Augustine says in the city of God, he says to abandon God, and he's talking about Genesis 3. He says to abandon God and to exist in oneself, that is to please oneself, is not immediately to lose all being, but is to come close to nothingness. I mean, if you carry that out within yourself, you begin to experience Nothingness. Scriptures would call that a lostness. So really what is happening in the passage of the psalmist is they experience, in a sense, a surrender to God's help. 
they realized there was no way out unless God got involved. See, I think our faith develops in the most difficult aspects of our lives, not in the easiest parts of our lives, but in the difficult aspects of our lives. And I think a lot of times the danger for many of us is when life gets difficult, we isolate ourselves. We pull away. We become even more individualistic. But the psalm is about the corporate. And we have to bring all of ourselves together to experience God's help. Paul wraps it up in, in, in his most famous chapter in Romans 8. He says, who shall sh separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, and this is out of Psalm 24, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And he goes on to say this, No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.